Hey, welcome to the Jerry Gherkin Show, where we get our kicks out of watching people succeed. I'm your host, Jerry Gherkin. That time is now. A little fun fact about me. I was a pretty good football player in high school. I started middle safety uh, when I was a sophomore. I was 180 pounds. I could hit like a son of a gun. But uh, I was a much better wrestler, and that's what took me through my college. But I bring that up because uh, my guest today, Clayton Moore, was a uh, outstanding football player in his in his day. And we'll probably talk a little bit more about about that. But welcome to the show, Clayton. Hey, thank you for having me, Jerry. Yeah, so uh, it's kind of funny. Clayton and I uh, just started interacting at the gym in uh, – because he was he was working at Planet Fitness, and uh, that's where I work out at, and and uh, became friends and jabbing each other back and forth, little fr- friendly pokes here and there. <laughs> and then uh, Clayton uh, just published his first book, and uh, I've been doing this podcast thing, so I thought it'd be appropriate to uh, bring him on the show and and get a better idea about what the book's about. Roll that out to the listeners as well as uh, dive into some other things, but. Uh, so you wrote this book. It's called Good Cop, Black Cop, and uh, it's kind of timely with what everything's going on in the world right now. Uh, what what really inspired you to write the book, and was it the mo- this moment that we're going through right now, or was that something that you've been thinking about for a while? Yeah, well, uh, good question. The, the moment we're going through right now, Jerry, is actually been going on for a while. Um, with uh, social media, it's obviously um, getting more headlines and uh, more attention, but what actually inspired me to write the book was my daughter-in-law, okay, Amanda. Yeah. And uh, I had been just messing around talking about, I'm going to write me a book when I retire, you know. Now, I think a lot of police officers, we all say that because of the things we go through in our career, all the calls we go on, we like, if people knew everything we did, it would be a bestseller, you know. Yeah, right. Uh, but I don't know how to write no book. I never, you know, didn't have no aspirations, but... um. I had said something to her about writing a book and everything and told her the title, what I was going to call it, you know, good cop, black cop, guilty until proven innocent, you know, and, and she's the type of person, you got to be careful what you say around her. Okay. She's like a sponge. She absorbs it all. And, uh, you know, she, she's phenomenal. And so for Christmas that year, um, we um, were in Buffalo and we had a Christmas there with them. And for one of the presents they got me was um, a basically uh, a book to write my uh, thoughts in and everything. And it said title was Good Cop, Black Cop. And she goes, now get started on that book. Right so on. she had yeah. the one, you know, yeah. kind of spurred gave things that, Gave you that push you needed. Right. <laughs> you know, I think everybody's got a story. And then uh, and I think that uh, it, it's probably our responsibility, if not it is our responsibility, to share that story because you have no idea who it can touch and who it can shift in somebody's life. And it could, you could write one book and it, it could touch one person. It could touch a million people. It just, it, but I think that everybody has a story uh, that, that a lot of people would like to hear. Ironically, this morning I was doing some sales training and I've never told my story in any of those settings. Actually never have that. That was the first time, but um, I felt led to uh, just because I think a lot of people are are uh, posers, and they they act like they're this or that, or they have something, or they're or they're they project um, that they got it all together. But everybody's dealing with something. I talk about that a lot on my podcast. But I think that uh, people can actually feel better about themselves, knowing that hey, this this cat looks like he's got it all together. But you know what? He's been through some some shit. You know, right? That's cool. 
So, uh, so you're, you were the first African-American police uh, on the police force there in Faustoria. Um, you worked your way up, promoted to sergeant, and then it all changed. Can you tell us what happened? Yes, well, it actually started change right before I was promoted. Um, I was the president of our union for the patrolmen, okay, OPBA. And at the time, we always have in our contract and our policy that when we have a promotion, we hire from within. So say there's an opening that sergeant or the patrolmen that have five-year experience and then some can take the test to get promoted. Uh, with sergeants, captains, et cetera, it goes on, and even chief, okay? Well, that particular year, we had opening at the chief's position. Uh, the city, the mayor at the time, wanted to kind of hire somebody from outside the, um, from our ranks and everything. Well, so we challenged that. And because our, basically our union, you know, said, wait, we hire from within, and it's kind of written in black and white. Well, um, it was a good fight. Uh, went through the courts, even went to the Supreme Court. Okay. Wow. Yeah, it was, uh, it was a big ordeal. Uh, it was going back and forth where, you know, we have a ruling for us, then a ruling for them, city. Ruling for us, then ruling for them. Well, the Supreme Court basically then allowed them to hire from outside and go outside to, you know, get somebody. And that's kind of when the ball started rolling. Yeah. Yeah, you want to create some division right there. That's how you do it. It's something everybody, um, there's an understanding or, you know, you said it was written in paper that that was something, but it was like almost like an unwritten rule that we're going to promote from within. So right. you guys are grinding it out, trying to continue to improve. And then they put the kibosh on it. And wow. Mm -hmm. So you probably didn't make too many friends in the higher ups then when you were, because you were the president of the union. Well, it was not just myself but it was the president of the command union too so we kind of you know we both were together on this yeah. okay it was the city who we were battling it with now when the mayor brought in his mayor his guy okay basically everybody that was involved in the union that had their name on you know the court papers and everything we became targets so because we were the voice you know we're just a representative that's all we were yeah, you know right. and everybody else we became targets and that's kind of how one by one they start targeting all the people that was had their name on the document and tried to basically take them through hell and some of them retired some of them left and you know until it got to me yeah got it so we kind of live we're living we are living and like you referenced earlier this has been going on for a while but it's just becoming more uh front mind because of of the social media and, and all the immediate um access to information um, and I, I truly believe it's creating more division with, with uh, the supercomputer and the algorithms and how uh, we're being fed what our side is and mm -hmm. whatever the other side is, they're being fed to create this division. Um, so I, I personally stopped watching the news. I, I, I mean, I, when I go to the gym, the TVs are on, but I don't pay attention. I, mm -hmm. Newspaper, I don't read newspaper anymore. All I do is look at, look at the sports scores because that's real. It's not subjective. <laughs> Look at the obituaries because that's real. Yeah. <laughs> you know, those are the only two things I look at in the newspaper because everything else is subjective and it's opinions. Mm -hmm. And opinions are like noses. Everybody has one and they all blow. That's my opinion. Like but uh, <laughs> tell us a little bit about what you what you feel like we can do to start to bridge this gap and to be more empathetic toward toward others. 
I have my opinion, but I'm gonna, I'd be interested in listeners being interested in listening to what you say. Okay. Well, first and foremost, I think we can bridge the gap. I think it's possible. I'm just, I'm that positive, optimistic person. I, I always believe. All right. Um, but there are some things we need to do. The the first and foremost, biggest thing we need to do is accept that there are problems. <laughs> you know that, that yeah. there is a problem. We just can't say, well, it's not that bad. It's not what people think it is. Well, yes, it is. You know, otherwise we wouldn't be talking about it. <laughs> right. Okay. Yeah. Um, we need a respectful dialogue, Jerry. I know I've been asked this before. Well, Clayton, we've had respectful dialogue in the past. What's changed? We, you know, we've tried that and everything. And um, I have uh, an acronym I use when I be talking and giving uh, talks and speeches and everything. It's called COPE, C-O-P-E. And you can't have COPE without COP, C-O-P, okay? Yeah. And what it stands for is basically the C is, is communication. Okay, you have to have respectful dialogue. You have to come up with an objective. Okay, what is your objective? What do we want to accomplish? Okay, you have to have a plan. Okay, you have to, you know, put something together to go about in accomplishing this objective. Okay, and then the most important part, you have to execute it. All right, so that's where you get the cope. So you have communication, respectful dialogue, an objective, a plan, and execution. However, there's one more important thing with that that you have to have. Otherwise, it just doesn't work. You have to have involvement with the community, okay? A good example, you can't have 60, 70, 80-year-old white men making laws or rules that affect 18, 19, 20-year-old black men. That ain't going to work, okay? That's part of the problem today, okay? That's not going to work. What you need to do is empower some of the leaders in the community, okay? Come together, okay? Now you guys have that respectful dialogue and here's the thing. I even go uh, far as say, have titles. Give someone in that community a title, as in, I'll come up with one like um, community liaison to uh, social affairs. Okay, <laughs> just throwing it out there, right? Right, yeah. But you know what? It, it really means nothing. But guess what? When people have titles, how do they feel? Yeah, empowered. For sure. Yeah, and they feel like they are important now. You get some people in the community coming together, okay, with law enforcement, with community leaders and everything. Now you come up with a plan that's going to help your community and bridge that gap. Now you're involving the people who don't have the faith in you. And if you and they feel like they're actually taking part in making change and creating change, their trust is going to go higher, okay? Their involvement is going to go higher. And I think you're going to have that much of a stronghold and commitment to have success. Yeah. Yeah. You take ownership, you know, when you, when you mm -hmm. have that responsibility and that mm -hmm. comes with that title mm -hmm. and then you, you take ownership of it. And I don't think anybody's is put together that they want to fail at anything. So yeah, you, mm -hmm. you give them that task. Um, and, and you know, this, this, uh, this division is so subtle um, mm -hmm. because it's, it's been going on for a long, long time and it's sh slowly shifted, but you can bring it back but it's going to take some time and yeah. it's going to be, you know, take some work, but small changes, small shifts consistently made over time, make big changes. Yes, they do. So if we can, like what you're suggesting, just those little changes, like empowering somebody with a title and then consistently over time, their voice is heard and they're connected to the community. Mm -hmm. 
because you're like what you said, you have these people that are maybe don't even live in the community, don't even socialize with anybody, but they're controlling everything. There you go. Yeah. So get the people that are in, in the community, in the tribe, so to speak. Yep. That can be empowered and, and um, start making those little shifts. That's awesome, man. I appreciate that. That cope. I wrote that down. Um, yeah. So you have a unique view of the uh, Black Lives Matter mm-hmm. movement. I want the listeners to uh, have an awareness of their the inherent bi- bi- biases. And uh, you, you speak about it a lot. So, you know, can you speak to the biases that live in all of us and, and how this is affecting our decisions? Yeah. Um, first, I hit with Black Lives Matter. You know, some people call them a, a terrorist group or anti-American group, you know. Basically... Matifa or something like that, ain't it? it? Yeah, Tifa. And I'm like, come on, people. Let's get real. You know, like you said, the political agenda, they can take something and twist it to fit their agenda. Mm -hmm. And I I tell people, instead of if they would have said Black Lives Matter, what if they would have said Black Lives Matter too, as an also? See, all they're saying is that basically... Our lives matter. Our lives were the ones that were being taken away. All right. They were never saying black lives only matter with their own life. They never said that. That's not their deal. They said, wait, our lives matter too. Wait, wait, our kids are being killed. We are human beings. We matter too. And that's all they were saying, you know. Um, but when you don't, when you open up avenues for people to kind of wedge out things that they want they can use it to twist it however they want to put their own spin on it you know Mm -hmm. so that that's what the black lives matter they're they're not a a group of they don't hate the police um and they they want the police a lot of their members are policemen (laughs) so you know that's just not true okay um as far as the biases here's the one thing i um i feel is that we all have biases and prejudices okay uh First thing first, recognize that, accept it, and understand it's okay. It's okay to have these biases and prejudices, okay? We have them based on the way we were raised, our Christian values, religious affiliations, okay? And our life experiences or our life no experiences, (laughs) okay? That's how we have our biases, you know? Um, I'll give you an example of a bias I had. And it kind of smacked me in the face, and it really, you know, it humbled me, okay? Obviously, being in law enforcement, 32 and a half years, um, anybody know anything about law enforcement and motorcycle gangs, it's like oil and water, (laughs) okay? On the outside. Yeah. On the outside, all right? So... Um, and I had biases with, I see people all tattooed up, earrings, the leather and everything. Uh, you know, again, I don't have the, at that time, my outlook was, hmm, okay, I'm keeping an eye on them and everything. It was a very negative outlook I had on them. Well, this, this is something that happened to me. It actually happened to me in the gym when I started working there. Um, had a guy come up. You know, to me, he was in the gym and I'm at the front desk. You know where the desk is located. Yeah. And I noticed he was kind of staring at me, you know, 
And this is when I first worked there. And I'm like, okay, what is this guy looking at, you know? And so I walk around a little bit, kept looking and noticed that he would always, you know, like kind of try to figure me out or, you know, dial into me. I'm like, okay, now you got my attention. You know, again, now the policeman kicked in, right? (laughs) So you got my attention. Well, he recognized me. He thought he did. So he came up to the desk and he goes, hey, um, is your name Clayton Moore? And I go, I don't know. You know, why you ask? <laughs> you know? <laughs> no, my name tag is right on me, right? <laughs> right, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, but I'm still at the point, I'm on police ball. I don't know why you ask. He goes, he goes, I just want to, he goes, I heard about you. I go, okay. Uh, you want to tell me what you heard? And he goes, I'll tell you later. He wouldn't tan. They came back, right? This dude was all tattooed. Okay. And his earrings and everything. He was in a biker gang, motorcycle gang. He came back and told me. Now, prior to this, let me, I had uh, been on a case where we had a hostage situation where a late young lady took her life. I was basically the negotiator for 12 hours, sat there like right outside of her bedroom, um, trying to get 12 straight hours, didn't move, didn't go to the bathroom to eat, did nothing, you know, trying to get her to, you know, hey, let's not do this, okay? I established a relationship. She worked with my mother and my sisters, okay? I'd coached her sons in football. So I had a relationship with her. Mm-hmm. Um, she went through an ordeal with a relationship where she was actually in Finley, was crying, went to a gun store, crying. They sold her a gun. She came home, even crying in the store. You know, they sold her a gun. She went home. As the FBI came in and everything, and after about 12 hours, they asked me to come down, and they was going to do something else. And I said, this is not a good idea. About one minute after I went down the steps, and then there's no more communication, she ended up taking her life. Okay? But I say that to say this. He was related to that young lady. And he comes to the gym. He goes, um, he basically said, we think you're one of the good ones. I go, excuse me? He goes, yeah, the gang he was in, he told me the motorcycle club, not gang, motorcycle club he was in. He goes, you know, they they know your name and they say you're one of the good guys up there. That just, wow, really? You know, that just made me think different now. And I said, I shook his hand and said, you have no idea what that meant to me. You know, for you guys to think of, you don't know me, but the, for you guys to think of me like that, I really appreciate it. Then I found out that these um, motorcycle clubs, they do a lot of bike runs, poker runs. They do a lot to help families and everything else. I started to find out more about them. I said, you know what? Just because we look different, we may dress different, we may act different, you know, we all have good inside of us. And we can't look on the outside and judge what's on the inside, you know. And, you know, it's just been incredible. That was a humbling experience for me that really made me check myself with my own biases right there. Sure. Yeah. I grew up in a small farming community in Northwest Ohio. Mm-hmm. Um, we had one black kid in the school when I was in high school, in the elementary mm-hmm. school, in the entire school. There was a black family moved in. It was all you know, predominantly. And our basketball team sucked. Uh-huh. Worst, almost set the record for losses <laughs> in, in the state of Ohio over a year, uh-huh. over two years. So here's this kid, he's like fifth grade. We're thinking, man, we got this basketball kid. He's cause he's black, right? He's yep. a, this kid's gonna be the, the greatest basketball player. It's gonna take us to another level. He played in the band. He never played a game of basketball. 
<laughs> well, you talk about biases. I mean, I was like that. that I wasn't exposed to any any anybody. You know, I didn't go anywhere. You know, right. Then I went. Then I went to boot camp in the Marine Corps, and he got a hundred guys from everywhere. You know, yeah. and uh, can you swim? Yes, I can. <laughs> oh, you know where you know I'm going with this. Because, dude, I mean, I grew up out in the country, right? So we had ponds, we swam in, blah, blah, blah. But, you know, you got these guys that are inner city, and they, they never are exposed. And typically, black guys are, are leaner, and they're not as buoyant. They don't have as much body fat. Right. So when we had to do swim qualifications, it was like, you got to jump off this diving board, fully clothed, hit the bottom, come up, swim over to the side, tread water for a while. These dudes would sink. I mean, yeah. like, bam. Have you ever read uh, David Goggins' book, Can't Hurt Me? No, I haven't. <laughs> he's, a Navy, he's a Navy SEAL badass man, really. Okay. Bad. okay. Uh, but anyway, he, he was. I was re-listening to a couple of his podcasts today, and he was talking about how he he wanted to go into Navy SEALs, but he couldn't swim. Mm-hmm. Sink. You know, and he took 18 months to train himself how to swim. But... Yeah, so the guys would have to go in the shallow end, and they would have to float on their back uh-huh. for, uh, I don't know how long it was, 90 seconds or whatever, and then they would pass the swim qualification. I'm getting way <laughs> off topic, but it's funny. Um, so so I, I fast forward, I'm in I'm a couple years in the Marine Corps, and I'm stationed in uh, Hawaii. And this dude from Alabama, Kenny Parham, he's probably 6'6", skinny as a rail, black dude. And he's a buddy of mine and my buddy Pooch, we go out to this freshwater quarry where we drink beer and jump off this 40-foot drop-off and then okay. do it again. Well, Kenny couldn't swim. He could float, but he couldn't swim. So we had enough beer in us that we talked him into jumping. <laughs> <laughs> and so my buddy Pooch and I, we both went out to the right and left and Kenny went straight. And as soon as I hit the water, I put the brakes on and came back up. And Kenny's flapping, splashing. He, he's got a southern draw, right? He's like, help me, Gert. Help me. Help me, Gert. Help me. <laughs> so I swim over to him. And it right away put palms my head and pushes me under because he's trying to get up, right? Yeah. But we, we got him calmed down and got him over. And I got a picture in, at my house of him because, remember, he's like 6'6", six, six, real gangly. He's hugging mm-hmm. this rock because he's... <laughs> <laughs> and then we got him to float. We floated him over because we had to use this rope to climb up. Uh-huh. But yeah, that's funny, man. No, but that's cool. But yeah, mm-hmm. that's so funny about biases. It's just you don't you don't know. And and I was um, listening to Stephen Furtick. Um, he's a pastor out of South Carolina. I know who he is. Yeah, and he had a he had a guest on. It was a it was a black uh, pastor, mm-hmm. and really put me in pers- put things in perspective for me too um, about the biases. He said. Like at our conversations that we have at our dinner table are different than the conversations you have at your dinner table. Mm-hmm. And Stephen was like, how so? <clears throat> and he's like, we talk to our kids about if they get pulled over to put their hands on the dashboard of the car mm-hmm. so that when the police officer comes up, they don't think because they're trying to get the registration and license that they're trying to get a gun. Okay. And, you know, and, and that, that, that really smacked me in the face. Cause I'm like, you know what? I never, I'm, I never thought of it, but you have this generational mm-hmm. uh, stereotype or whatever, and that's what you think. Some mm-hmm. of it comes from experience, just like you said. I mean, you, we've had bad experiences with everybody. You know? Right. But yeah, that's, that's yeah, with that, Jerry, perspective for me. 
Yeah, some of the things I tell kids these days, the first thing I tell them, especially is at nighttime, turn your light on inside of your car. Roll all your windows down and keep your hands up there where they can see them. Now, why do we have to have that conversation? Yeah. Well, it's because somebody's probably been shot before, you know, and I, and, and then you just yeah. kind of, it's like that one bad apple spoils the bunch, you know, it's just like yeah. uh, they've had that experience. So now it's everybody. So it's, it's right. definitely having that kind and, and I, you, in your book, you talk about just genuinely loving other human beings, mm-hmm. you know, and just having those relationships with people. And, and like you said about that, that cat at the gym, I mean, at first you're, you're, your radar was up that who's this guy checking me out and then come to find out now you, you probably pump fist with him and stuff when you when you come into the gym and stuff yes, and have a conversation and dialogue because now mm-hmm. that that's that whatever that is 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 diffused mm-hmm. yeah the barrier is broken yeah you know yeah so let's talk about police officers man because i know that they're getting i truly believe that I don't know, 98% of the cops that are out there don't have a, a vendetta against people. I mean, uh, you don't go into law enforcement to shoot people, but it seems like that's that dark cloud that's over top of the men and women in blue that, uh, you know, cause we see it on the news all the time. Like you said, you, it, it's the, the media and the social media, we see a lot, a lot more. It's probably been happening, but now we see it more and now it's, it's creating this, um, Right. This other bias towards police officers, but uh, can you speak to that? What do you What do you think we can do to to try to make that small shift to getting some more trust in our law enforcement? Um, I, I think there's a couple of things. Uh, the cope is one of them, obviously. Um, I think there needs to be more um, training with the police officers. That vote uh, cultural diversity definitely needs to be more training. Uh, we need to have more training with mental illness patients with our law enforcement officers, you know. Um, we also need to have more engagement. Now, with that, with law enforcement, I, and I think you're right, people do, are starting to see maybe cluster all the cops together, even though they know, trust me, they know all police officers and the majority of police officers are very good people. They do things in the communities, uh, in their churches, in their schools, they're very active. They're loving families. You know, they're they're good people, but we don't hear about those. Mm-hmm. Those aren't the ones we hear about. You know, um, it's just like you go into school. Okay, you're not going to hear about those good students. You're going to hear about those students that get in trouble, have to go to the principal's office. They're going to have eighth period or whatever, going to be kicked out of school. Those are the ones you're going to hear about. We tend to give more um, attention toward negative behavior instead of praising positive behavior. Absolutely, 100%. You know? And we can change that if we change what we do. And I, I've said this to our superintendent, to our principals at times, you know what? Have a program or have some type of thing where you're going to start praising kids. Kids want attention. Is that simple? Kids want attention. It's up to us to make that attention either positive or negative because they're going to get it because some people crave for that because they don't have it for whatever reasons. So guess what? Now, us knowing that, let's make it, they want that attention, let it be positive. Start rewarding all those things that can be positive in your school. So now if they want attention, they're going to start doing things that are positive. You can change the mindset if you change your mindset. Right. 
Yep. You know, um, okay. and as far as the police, you know, there's this thing. Uh, we take an oath. And sometimes I really think it is just got watered down. Because we're supposed to serve and protect. Mm-hmm. OK, yep. and as a public servant, that means you serve others. It don't mean that you have others look to you or serve you you know, or regulate. No, you're supposed to serve and protect. I think that has gotten um, pushed to the back. And I don't think there's enough emphasis on even training with the police officers that that's, you know, your role to serve and protect. Well, it's, it, it's like taking uh, God out of the schools. You know, these are these subtle shifts that, um, and just like, you know, you and I growing up <clears throat> at nine o'clock at night, or after 10, that's when the the shows were on that maybe were, you know, a little more risque or, you know, had to, but right. now it's, it's prime time. And I mean, everything. you got, you got everything. It's, it's just, but it was subtle and it, it mm-hmm. just kind of slowly creeped in. So now you can watch sex in the city 24 seven. And all they talk yeah. about is having sex. It's like, come on, man. Yeah. yeah. But, but it was subtle, just like the protect and serve, you know, it's, it, I think the foundation of it was honorable for sure, you know, I agree. but, but as, t- like you said, as, as the subtle times went by, it's kind of gotten, gotten away and then we were okay with it. It's all right. It's not really, but uh, yeah, that's, that's crazy, man. All right. Hey, uh, before we get out of here, I want to talk, I, I get, we got to talk about Micah. You know? <laughs> and I want to, I want to let the listeners know kind of how, how we figured this thing out, you and me. Because <laughs> I walked up because you didn't have your last name on there and you always had a mask on. Anyway, yeah. I walk up to the gym and to the counter at the gym, said, Hey, said, told him I had a podcast going on. And I said, You're from Faustoria, right? And he Clayton goes, Yeah. I said, You know who Micah Hyatt is? <laughs> and he pulls his mask down. He goes, That's my stepson. Like, like, I'm supposed to know that. Come on, dude. But that was so funny. And, yeah. Uh, anyway, but yeah, you got to be super proud of him, man. And he he's such a such a cool young man. When I had him on my podcast, he just I mean, he just exuded um, respect, confidence, everything you'd want in, in a human being. I, I just really, really. And a lot of that has to do with with what what he was raised in. I mean, the community that he was raised in. So how how do you think uh, and then you reference kids earlier needing attention and stuff. I mean, I, my mom was always home when I was growing up. Um, mm-hmm. My my wife was home uh, raising our daughters when I was working, and that that's kind of it. Doesn't happen that much anymore. Um, there's a, usually two people working, and kids are teaching, figuring out stuff for themselves because they're latchkey, or maybe they got two or three hours to get in trouble. Like you said in your book, you know, you used to go after after football practice and go down, and you guys would share what was it, orange juice or something, and and then uh, pass around stuff and then they started passing around something else yeah <laughs> and, and then you're like nope we're not doing yeah. that you and your your buddy that you're still friends with now yes yeah yeah, yeah. so uh how, how how much of an influence and i it probably goes without saying but how much of an influence um do you think that um parents need to to have to help make this shift from these kids and well again and I, I think you, you're aware of this, obviously. Today's, with all the electronics and all the 
availability to the kids have with social media. I think sometimes parents today have those electronics become a babysitter to their kids, you know, Agreed. And as opposed to the on hands parenting, you know, and the, the discipline and we talked about respect earlier are the two things discipline and respect are the two things that I think have been watered down in the household today that when we was coming up, I know when I was coming up, you know, if we got in trouble in school, we was like, please do not call home. Do not tell my mom and dad. I, I don't care. You can crack me two more times or you can give me detention, whatever. Just don't tell my parents, you know. Yep. Now it's like, oh, I'm telling my mom or my dad. They're coming up here. They're going to, you know, yeah. deal with them. It's like, so that has kind of went out the door, um, you know. But like I said, with Michael, he's just, he is a humble, humble individual, you know. Uh, very Extremely competitive. I'm going to share a story with you. Okay, um, this is when I remember having a conversation with Pam. I said, he's special. He's different. Okay, I'm coaching high school football. All right. Uh, out of college and everything, uh, on the staff of Coach Kidwell. Micah had gotten in trouble. He's in junior high, maybe I think seventh grade. Okay, he got in trouble. I guess his sister had some friends over after Pam, his mom, went to work. Right. Well, something happened when she came home and called him. And me working third shift at the time. You know, I was able to kind of monitor things, you know, driving around. And uh, we had uh, some of the kids out later past curfew. Okay. Well, they got in trouble. For his punishment, he had to come to football practice in my drill and stay in my drill. We had uh, sections where they would rotate to five different stations, you know. My station was called Camp Clayton. Okay. (laughs) Yeah. And to this very day, all the players tell you, it was no joke. It was the hardest station, right? Well, he had to do my station the whole time. He wasn't on to rotate. He had to stay at my station the whole time at practice, okay? Um, his sister Jada and they, they were actually crying. Mommy, don't make don't make him do Camp Clayton. Don't make him go to Camp <laughs> He was crying earlier that he didn't want to do it, right? And his older brother Marcus was laughing, you know, because they knew how tough it was. I'm going to tell you something. He went through that station, okay, and the first time you see him struggle with it, every group that came there, he had to stay there and do the same thing over and over and over. He was doing it better than the high school kids. At that point, I said, that guy's special. Yeah. You know? Yeah. That had to be, uh, you know, I know from your story, you wanted you wanted to play in the league, and then to have him uh, make it to the level of success he's at, you got to be super proud. Oh, yeah. We're, we're just, you know what? It's not so much even making it to the league. It's just growing up to be the young man he is. Yeah, I agree. You know, he, yep. He's the type of person that every father-in-law would want their daughter to marry. He really is. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's awesome. All right, man. Tell me about the UFO you saw when you were eight years old. <laughs> you did some good reading, didn't you? <laughs> <laughs> Um, I was in the backyard, um, went behind my house and the garage is in there. I looked up in the sky. I don't know if you remember the show that used to be on when we were little called Lost in Space. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It was identical to that flying saucer. Um, it came right across my head. I was like, I could have throw a rock and hit it. It was that low. It was gray, dusty, 
the lights on the bottom were circular and lit. And I remember I stood on this pile of there's pieces of wood because my father was building a garage attachment. Okay, so we didn't get lumber from Tiffin. We had it right there. I couldn't move. I was just frozen. I couldn't talk. I couldn't move. It's like I was just like frozen and I was just looking at it, you know. Um, it just hovered around me for like maybe 10, 15 seconds and then took off going north. I mean, it got from here to where we're like now. And I, as I'm telling you about it, I remember it like it was yesterday. Wow. I can take a polygraph and pass that because I'm telling you this happened, right? Yeah. And after it left, I was able to leave. I ran house with mommy, mommy. I remember trying to tell her a story. So that's, that's, that's true story. Man. I can't get no, I, I believe you. I believe you. I just have never had any kind of uh, extraterrestrial experience, but that's mm -hmm. that's bananas, man. So um, last couple of questions and then uh, we'll, you can um, goodcopblackcop.com or you can go on Amazon, right? You can get your book there. Yes, sir. And on Amazon. It's all it's on there. Yes. Cool. All right. Mm -hmm. Good cop, black cop. But uh, last two questions I want to ask you, what's the best advice you've ever received? Okay, for all the young men that are married. <laughs> I just started. My uncle from Chicago came to Fostoria one day. Uh, I just got married uh, maybe a year or two. He, uh, he goes to me, he goes, Clayton, I want you to remember three initials. I go, what's that? Huh? He goes, KTP. I go, KTP, you know, he goes, keep the peace, <laughs> you know, <laughs> yeah. whatever you do, you make her happy. I said, if she's happy, this household will be happy. <laughs> so that's one of the best things of advice I've yeah. ever had, you know, <laughs> keep the peace. Keep the peace, right on. <laughs> I like it. Yeah. I've not heard that one before. Yeah. <laughs> I've heard happy wife, happy life, but you know, keep the peace. Yeah. I like that. That's better. Yeah. All right. Uh, last question. How do you want to be remembered? You know, um, Jerry, I just like to be remembered as, you know, boy who grew up across the tracks in Fostoria. That's God fearing, you know, and, and has, and had the faith and guidance to help make change. And, just always believe that through his faith and that things were possible, regardless of what other people believe that, you know, and if you have that within yourself with, you know, just keep going forward and whatever it is, you can make things happen in a positive way. Perfect. Love it. All right. Remember yesterday's history. Tomorrow's a mystery. Today is a gift. That's why we call it the present. Make it a good one.